Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Andrew Steele Podcast. This is actually the second podcast we've uploaded today. The first one, I was on Giant's Corner, part of the Toilet to Titles Network, with my good friend Joe Clark. He came on the podcast on Saturday to preview Super Bowl 58, and um, then I went on his show, The Giant's Corner, Monday to break it all down. Uh, the reason, and I alluded to it on the on that podcast, so I'll explain now. The the reason these these two episodes are, are going up back to back is is quite simple, really. I had a busy start to the week freelance wise, and I was using Wednesday as a day to catch up on all Super Bowl stuff, which included to upload these two podcasts. I was going to upload the 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 Joe Clark one on Wednesday, and the and the one you'll listen to now today um, as well as some uh, upload some Super Bowl content final thoughts I had on Mahomes and the Chiefs and 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 the the unreal ending we saw in Super Bowl 58 in Vegas and as I was doing that as I was editing the podcast I went on my phone to look for something and uh, I saw the notification that there were gunshots at the uh, victory parade in Kansas, and uh, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right to upload anything, if I'm being honest. And it still doesn't. It still doesn't feel right to celebrate what happened Sunday and and talk about the X's and O's of the game, knowing that there's there's one person who's lost their life, and there's over twenty people that are in hospital with serious injuries, and and half of them are children. Um, and um, I, I want you to indulge me for a minute, if if you may. I don't often do things like this, and, and I try to keep politics as far away from from what I do in my site as I can. It's 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 the one hard line in the sand that I always draw, and I'm going to try not to wade into that here. But if I do, I apologise. But I just I've got no words. I I wrote an article which is um, currently on the site, which you can find at the steelsportsbar.substat.com. I'm just heartbroken, and I'm tired, and I'm fed up, and I'm pissed off, frankly, that this is still happening. And um, look, you can tell from the sound of my voice I'm not American. I wasn't born in America, so you may wonder why... This is resonating so much with me, but but for those of you who know me, for those of you who listen to the podcast regularly, for those of you who have been loyal readers of mine from the beginning, you will know that America to me is home in every single sense. And that's where my heart is, that's where my spirit is, that's where my soul is. And so when something like this happens, when another mass shooting happens, I cry with the rest of America and I mourn and I grieve and I found myself in a haze ever since this happened on Wednesday in Kansas. And I just don't know where we go from here, if I'm being honest. I, I mean, how many more of these mass shootings need to take place for those in power to do something? I mean, we've had 48 mass shootings this year already. And sports is meant to be a unifying, magical, beautiful power that brings us all together. And on Wednesday morning, on a on a sunny day, millions of people, thousands of families, left the house together to go to a parade to watch their favourite team bring home their second consecutive Lombardi trophy and their third in, in five years. And they were making memories. They were they were uniting together as a family in support of their beloved team. And they were making memories. And there were thousands upon thousands of kids who were making memories that would last a lifetime. They were getting to see their heroes up close and personal. And kind of really revel in what it means to be a sports fan. Those glorious highs that we all dream of. Only for the day to end in just tragedy and heartbreak and just horrific devastation and I just want you to think for a moment 
and just imagine just going to a sport and parade with your kids or your loved ones and have then having to to run for your life because there's gunfires there's gunshots sorry being fired and people are scared and terrified and you don't know what's going on and just think sorry just think of the family of the young woman who lost her life because she was at a parade doing her job for a radio station just think of the the 20 or more people that are in hospital dealing with serious injuries just think of the fact that half of that number are children and they're not only dealing with injuries they're they're dealing with the mental scars that are going to be with them for the rest of their lives their lives changed yesterday all because of the fact that America can't seem or isn't willing to implement strict gun laws that will eradicate this, that will stop this constant wave of horror and destruction. I mean, I had CNN on yesterday and um, they had rolling coverage, obviously. And at some point they were interviewing a boy couldn't have been any older than 14 or 15 and he had a like a cut a graze on his head from where he obviously was trying to get away and at the end of the interview he was like I, I don't know if my friends are alive or, or 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 dead and I wasn't laughing then I was just letting out a sound of just desperation I mean just imagine that you go to a, a championship parade with your friends and you get separated and you spend hours wondering if, if your friends are alive or dead. I, ch- I just mean, what fucking world are we living in? Um, and I'm, I'm sorry for this. I know this probably isn't the opening to the podcast you're expecting, but I needed to say this. I needed to start it this way because, again, I'm not entirely comfortable releasing a podcast talking about a game like everything's normal because it's not, but the the... The horrible reality is is that in a way it is because we've become numb to this. I'll be honest, when the notification first popped up on my phone, it didn't surprise me. It didn't shock me. It was almost as, you know, part of you was expecting this to happen at an event like this where millions of people were. Because it, it happens far too often. And But I think the sobering reality of, of what happened in Kansas on Wednesday is that I think we now know that nowhere is safe in America now. You know, not churches, not malls, not grocery stores, not streets, not not even you know, not bars, not nightclubs, not theaters, not schools, not high schools, and not even sporting parades now. Um, it's just horrible and you know i wrote in this article i did i I kind of wonder now when we see a team win the stanley cup and we see a team win the larry o'brien trophy in a few months what will those parades look like will there be families now with young kids who are who who choose not to go because of what happened on wednesday you know Will families go and be constantly looking over their shoulder, looking for escape routes, just in case? I mean, what what kind of world do we live in? And and the really the the thing that has really bothered me today are the reports that this was just a a, a disagreement between several people. This wasn't an act of terror, although. If you want my opinion on this, anyone carrying a gun around and then, then and then that person brings the gun out in order to use it in an act of violence is an act of terror, if you ask me. But the fact that this wasn't a quote-unquote act of terror and that this was in fact several people getting into a disagreement, the fact that that has led to one young woman losing her life and over 20 people half of which are children 
now in hospital with serious injuries. That, for me, just sums up the sorry state of America today. Because if a dispute between several people happened in nearly every other country on the planet, you know, if it happened in in my country, the England, for example, we won't even know about it because it would just be a glorified punch-up and that would be it. But in America, it ends in absolute heartbreak and tragedy and destruction and death and pain and suffering, all of which won't ever be eradicated. It's, it's horrible. It, it really is um, just a loss of words. You know, like I said, there's been 48 mass shootings already this year. And, you know, every time one happens, you think surely this has got to be the event that sparks change. And it isn't, you know, we hear the same old stuff, thoughts and prayers, prayers up. But what what do they mean in the grand scheme of things? What what do they really mean? The, the family of the young woman who, who lost her life. What are they going to do with thoughts and prayers? What does that mean to them? That's not going to bring back their loved one. What are the the families of the victims who are currently dealing with injuries, not just physical but mental too? What are they going to do with thoughts and prayers? We have to get to a point where enough is enough and we're way past that point. How many more lives are going to be lost before something is done? And I'm not going to delve into the, the... politics of it all because there's just no point because my voice isn't going to change anything and I'm sure the last thing you want to hear on a sports podcast is me going about politics but I just needed to get this stuff off my chest because I have been I just haven't been able to think straight since Wednesday I've been in a deep haze and I'm I'm just sad I'm I'm sad for America. I'm I'm sad for everyone I know that has to go around in constant fear of something like this happening and I'm 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 just devastated for those people in Kansas who began their day by going out to a parade to celebrate their their team winning the championship and ended it in in just complete chaos and heartbreak and um things humans shouldn't have to go through. So, yeah, I'm just sorry. I'm sorry for it all. And um, I thank you for indulging me on on this to start. I am going to shut up now and pass you on to my, uh, well, talk to you about today's guest to start with. So I was joined by Jake Asman of the Jake Asman Show on YouTube. I'll put all the links in my, in the podcast bio you can also hear on on ESPN Radio, ESPN New York Radio, Mad Dog Sports Radio. He is Jake is a rising star in this business for sure. He's someone I look up to. He's he's done just an incredible job, and he's on a meteoric rise. And he's an, he's a name to to keep an eye on for sure in sports journalism. So I was I was really delighted to get him on the podcast. We broke down Super Bowl Fifty Eight. We talked about. The Mahomes of it all, his legacy, the, the Chiefs' legacy, why we really just witnessed the worst year the Chiefs are ever going to have offensively, the worst offensive talent they'll have, and why this is really just the start for them in terms of building a dynasty that, that will rival what the Patriots did. Then we got into some Jets talk because we're both Jets fans and we kind of looked into what they should do in the offseason, both in free agency and the draft. And we also talked about Jake's experience in Vegas. He was on Radio Row for the entire week in Las Vegas, had some great guests on his podcast. We kind of talked about that and just what an insane week that was for him and his career. And it was just a great chat. I'm hoping Jake will come on more during the the football season once that picks up again. Um, I'm hoping to have him on maybe after the draft and free agency to kind of break down what the Jets did, if anything. And um, yeah, so without further ado, I'm going to pass you on to my conversation with uh, Jake. Enjoy.
So I've been quite excited about this guest for a while. I've been trying to get him on for, for a little bit. He is very much a rising star in the industry. He hosts the Jake Asman Show on YouTube. He, You can hear him on ESPN Radio, ESPN New York, Mad Dog Sports Radio. Over the Christmas break, when a lot of the regular guys kind of take time off, you could hear this uh, this guy on, on all the main shows. And for me, I consider him kind of the head of the next generation. So I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Jake Hasman. Thanks, man. Andrew, thanks for the introduction, my friend. I appreciate it. You're way too kind. Uh, honestly, it's been so fun kind of watching your your journey the, the last year alone, just kind of seeing all the stuff you've, you've been getting to do, you know, like the opportunities you've had and um, culminating in this week in Vegas. So we're going to get into your your week in Vegas because you had quite the time by just looking at your Instagram stuff. But let's break into Super Bowl 58 because it, it's been so funny because I, I've listened to a lot of stuff. I've read a lot of stuff and a lot of people were down on the game itself until the end. I, I actually didn't think the game was that bad. Like I love old school defensive football and I kind of loved the chess match and how the fact that, you know, the 49ers had every opportunity to put the hammer down and they just couldn't do it. And you just knew that they were in trouble because of who was on the other side. What were you, what was your kind of instant reactions to that game, including probably the, one of the best endings to a Super Bowl we've ever had? Yeah, I think you nailed it, right? Uh, it felt like the Niners dominated the game, yet they were only up 10-3 at halftime. It felt like they should have been up a lot more, and, and maybe they could have held on. But anytime you allow maybe the greatest quarterback ever when it's all said and done, he's certainly on his way to at least being in the conversation and Patrick Mahomes hang around, you just feel like all the pressure is going to be on the team that Mahomes is going against. And you just have such confidence in the Chiefs to be able to figure it out and execute late because they have that championship pedigree. They have a Hall of Fame coach, a Hall of Fame defensive coordinator, and they have Mahomes. So it felt like the Niners played a really good game in the first half, but a couple of mistakes here or there, they weren't up as much as they should have been. And then, you know, you just give Patrick Mahomes an opportunity to keep the game close. He's going to come through late, and that's kind of what we saw. So I'm with you. I thought it was an excellent game. that started a little slow, but... I mean, it's only the second ever Super Bowl to go to overtime, and it ended with you know the best player in the world throwing a game-winning touchdown. That's about as good as it gets for the NFL. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that if I remember right, the 49ers had a chance just before the half to kind of go up even more, and they and they couldn't take it. And then the Chiefs come out with with the ball to start the second half, and and Mahomes throws that that interception, which was. To be honest, his only real boneheaded play of the entire postseason. He's he's been really smart with the ball in, in that sense. And then you could kind of just see it on whenever they they kind of cut to the sidelines as the game wore on. Like you could just tell, I think, that there was the look on the 49ers' faces that they knew what was what was happening. And as you said, that ended. I've watched the game back a couple of times and I've watched the drive at the end of regulation and the the game winning drive in overtime. And it just amazes me just how calm and collected Mahomes was, just how he marched that team down the field, and and you know, and and the funny thing is they could have won it in regulation. You had Rashid Rice that was wide open down the middle, um, when he went for Kelsey in the end zone, but just that kind of as you said, it's that it's that big time, big game experience of we've been here before, we know what we're doing, and just the ending was just incredible. And as you said, he's got a way to go to catch Brady, but I think with, with the singular talent and that mentality, Mahomes is certainly the best player in football now and he's in the conversation. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's even a legitimate conversation, right? It's just a testament to what he's already done. I mean, he's better at his age than Brady was at his, you know, three Super Bowls, three Super Bowl MVPs, two league MVPs. He's been a starter for six years. Every year he's been a starter. He has been to at least the AFC championship game. You know, this year it was, well, he can never win on the road. He's never done it before. Well, he goes into Buffalo when they were the hottest team in the league and beats them. Following week, into Baltimore, one seed, MVP of the league in Lamar, he beats them. It's just a testament to his greatness. He's certainly helped by 
the coaching staff around them. But think about it. This was supposed to be you know, the year the Chiefs didn't win. You know, they, yeah. they didn't have as great of an offense as they've had in the past. You know, Travis Kelsey, as great as he was in the playoffs, statistically in the regular season, for his standards, he had a down year. They didn't have a legitimate number one wide receiver. They didn't have a 1,000-yard wide receiver, a 1,000-yard rusher, yet here's Patrick Mahomes winning another ring, and it feels like this might be one of their least talented teams they've had, and they still won it all. So, uh, I mean, he he's clearly on his way to being, if not the greatest quarterback of all time, certainly in the top three, top two. Uh, I mean, look, what made Brady Brady is the fact that he obviously won seven titles, but he also was elite into his 40s. And Mahomes has got a long way to go, but why wouldn't we expect him to continue to play at this high of a level? He's as smart as anyone. He doesn't need to beat you with his legs, but he can. So as he ages, he could still be dynamic and you know an unbelievable uh, quarterback just by playing the quarterback spot from the pocket. It's not like he needs to just run to be effective. So, I mean, he's the best player in the sport, and I think there's no reason to think he wouldn't continue to be the best player in the sport for years to come. Well, that's the scary thing, right? You know, he's not he's not even 29. He's got a hell of an arm on him. So when he does get older, he's got that when he loses some of that mobility. And and let's face it, with the way the, the game's set up to protect the quarterback now, he's going to be able to play well into his 40s if he wants to. So if he stays healthy, uh, you know, if if you if you came to me 10 years from now and said Mahomes went and got eight rings. It wouldn't surprise me. It, it, I wouldn't bet again. And 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 you talk about body of work, and, and I wasn't the only one that did this. But there were a few times throughout the regular season, I tweeted out, you know, there was a play, and you'd be, this is why you don't bet against Mahomes. And still, people would come back and say, ah, they're not going to do anything. The fact that we're at this point, and there's still people kind of almost betting against him, is just crazy to me because. As you said, they had he had no weapons. They had he had very little help. But when you've got Andy Reid as well, and and you saw his genius on that on that last play call on the on the game winning touchdown. How like I mean, next year, how can you bet against them? You can't. I mean, look, Brady, as great as he was, you know, after he won his first three, there was a ten season stretch where he didn't win again, right? So it's just it's hard to do what the Chiefs have done. As great as the Patriots were with Brady and Belichick, there was that 10-year gap. Now, they got back to the Super Bowl twice and lost to the Giants both times. And, you know, I think you could argue maybe the quarterback play in Brady's era was better than what it currently is right now. Like, obviously, Peyton Manning was in his heyday. You had Aaron Rodgers coming up. You obviously had Ben Roethlisberger and Phillip Rivers also in the AFC. But, um, like, right now, you can't bet against the, the Chiefs. I mean, like, if you pick them every year, more times than not, you're probably – going to be right rather than picking a different team. But, you know, that's what makes the NFL the NFL. You never know, right? We've seen wildcard teams win championships. We've seen teams that no one has going as far as uh, they end up going, make runs. So you never know. But every year that Patrick Mahomes is healthy, they're likely going to be the preseason favorites. And they've earned that. I mean, this is now a, a full-fledged dynasty with three titles in five years. And if they can bring Chris Jones back, I think one thing Brady did really well in New England was that, and and he did it in Tampa too, he was able to recruit high-end veterans on team-friendly deals who wanted to go ring chasing to to win an elusive Super Bowl. And I I think that's going to start happening in in Kansas City because I think who wouldn't want to go play with Mahomes? Who wouldn't want to go play with Kelsey? Who wouldn't want to go and have Andy Reid play calling? And there's a few things from the game I still want to touch on, but I'm, I said this on the podcast last night. I'm going to throw this at you and you, you can either call me stupid or I would love, and and I haven't kind of dialed down into the financials. They, they probably have to make, move a few things around. But if you, if you're Brett Veach and you've, you know, defensive side of the ball, you, you kind of saw it, but if you're Brett Veach, why wouldn't you want to go give your Frank, your face of the franchise and your head coach a bone now? And kind of give them a shiny new toy to to make them you know to make them happy. Plus, you can't keep relying on the defense as much as they did because you saw towards the end of the Super Bowl they look they they look fucked. To be honest, like the last few minutes, they just looked they looked gassed. If you're Brett Veach, would you try and make a move for Mike Evans? You know, 
give him a two, three year deal, kind of put a lot of the money on the back end and say, look, you've already won a ring, but if you come here, pad your numbers the next few years, win maybe one, two more rings, and that's your Hall of Fame case rubber stamp. Is that something that it, like you would do if you were the Chiefs to give Mahomes that number one weapon? Yeah, no question. Um, I, I think when you kind of look at their team this year, Andrew, this is probably going to be the least talented offensive team they've had that still ended up winning a championship. I mean, yeah. th- think about it like this. They traded away Tyree Kill, who's arguably the game's best receiver. You can argue that at what he's done the last two years in Miami. And the last two years, they haven't missed him. They've still been able to win the Super Bowl without him, which is just a testament to Mahomes' greatness. You know, that being said, they've also drafted really well. Like, I'm sure Rasheed Rice will be even better next year yeah. in year two. Kelsey's still a dynamic player, and they could sign a free agent like Mike Evans, or maybe they spend big on T. Higgins and let him be the true yeah. number one. As Kelsey starts to, to age, maybe Higgins is like, well, let me go play with Mahomes and really dominate for the next three to four years of my contract. So I, I, I fully expect them to add a legitimate receiver, whether that's in free agency, a trade, or hell, you know, you, you, using their first round pick on someone. You know, they they've shown the ability to be able to win with no matter who they bring in because they have Mahomes, because they have Andy Reid. But I would expect their offense, at least on paper, to be more talented next year than it was this year, which is scary for the rest of the league. And I, and I think the wide receiving group in the draft this year is meant to be really strong and deep, isn't it? So yep. they've certainly got the option with that first round pick to go and add uh, another weapon as well and maybe complement that through free agency too. So as you said, the scary thing for the rest of the league is that they're going to be a lot better offensively than they were this year and they, and they still want it. So I, I think that's the scary thing for the, for the, for the rest of the league. One, in terms of the defence, they, they, they allowed... 13.7 points per against per game in the playoffs, I think. Steve Spagnola, I, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves as, you know, he's now won four rings as a defensive coordinator. From what you've from what you saw on Sunday and then what you've seen with that unit throughout this year, just what about that unit and the schemes that Steve Spagnola draws up makes him so special? Yeah, I just think the fact that they're adaptable, like it just feels like game to game, they could put together a different game plan that neutralizes what the team they're playing does well. They're opportunistic. They they can force key turnovers when it matters. And honestly, Spagnuolo is a Hall of Fame coordinator if there ever was one. I mean, he's 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 won four Super Bowls, and one of the, one of those Super Bowls was against maybe the greatest team ever, the 2007 Patriots, when the Giants were. Two touchdown underdogs. They held that offense, uh, led by you know Tom Brady throwing fifty plus touchdowns that season. They scored fourteen points in that game. Like that's how dynamic the Giants' defense was. And then obviously the three in Kansas City, and you know it, the, the defense this year maybe more so than the other two they won really was the biggest reason why they were able to get it done. I mean, I saw this great stat that I'm going to mention on uh, Mad Dog Radio on Sunday. The Chiefs faced four of the top six offenses in the playoffs which combined for 28.6 points per game this year. And Kansas City's defense held them on average 12.5 points per game during this playoff run. So uh, I think Spags is unbelievable. I think he should get more opportunities to interview to be a head coach for the second time. He certainly has paid his dues. I mean, Raheem Morris waited about a decade. He got a second shot. I don't understand why Spagnuolo uh, has not gotten another opportunity. But regardless, he's phenomenal, and he clearly gets the best out of his players. And that's another reason why Kansas City – remains so dominant year over year. We saw the Eagles have to replace both their coordinators, and it's hard. We're, meanwhile, if you're Kansas City, you have Andy Reid who could run your offense with Mahomes, which obviously matters, and Spags isn't going anywhere. So you know your defense always has you know a very high floor, and yeah. when you need it to be great, they can be great. I think it's a huge advantage they've been able to have. And it, the, a lot of the talk before the game was the, the ring course he can add into that gameplay, and that game-defining play where Chris Jones rushes up and, and gets to Brock Purdy and kind of breaks up what would have been a touchdown to to Ayuk. The thing is, that didn't even look like a pressure until the very last second. And that's just how clever he is as a, as a play caller and how and how that defense is. And and again, as you said, when you when you know that you've got Steve Zagnola staying, hopefully they'll have Chris Jones back. And a lot of those, you know, there's Bolton, Sneed, a lot of the kind of 
pieces on that defense we don't talk about because it's all Mahomes. Again, they're set for the longest time on both sides of the ball. 100%. And it's why when you kind of look ahead to like next season, I mean, it's everyone chasing the Chiefs. And look, they won't win every year, but I mean, no team has ever three-peated and they have as good of an opportunity to do it as maybe any team of, of our lifetime. But one one thing on Mahomes, because I do want to talk about the 49ers quickly. Mahomes is interesting with Mahomes because he he people loved to hate Brady because of the winning. I think Mahomes gets a lot of crap for other stuff, which we won't get into. But purely from a football perspective, if you if you said to me, right, you can draft one quarterback to win you the game in the biggest moment. I'm taking Mahomes every day of the week, even over Brady at this point. And that's not that's not trying to be prison at the moment, but I just think we saw on Sunday and you know, we saw last year when when he went on those runs on that bum ankle, and then Sunday, you know, he took the ball himself on the fourth down and then ripped off another run that put them in position. I, I just don't think there's any other quarterback I would trust to have the ball in his hands when everything's on the line that I would with Mahomes. It's it, it's tough to sit here and say you're wrong. I I think I might still take Brady just because we've seen him do it, yeah, you know, so many times in the Super Bowl. But could you go wrong with either one? It isn't doesn't that tell you all you need to know about uh, what Mahomes has already done through six seasons as a starter? So hey, give me either one, and I, I feel pretty good about my chances to go and win the game. It, as much as Mahomes and, and the dynasty talk has, has been the lead subject, obviously on every sports talk show this week, the other side of the conversation is, you know, did the 49ers throw that game away? I, I don't buy into that. I think it was more, I put more on the Chiefs than I do on the 49ers throwing it away. And I, and I don't, I, I, I'm not, I'm not in the camp either of really ripping Kyle Shanahan. I, I mean, yeah, there were certain play calls where maybe they could have been more aggressive. I, I thought that he should have put the ball in Christian McCaffrey's hands more in the second half. And and there's certainly, you can certainly have a conversation about should they have, you know, gone second in, in overtime. But I, I don't know. I, I still think it's more, it was more about Mahomes and the Chiefs than the 49ers and Shanahan. What, what about you? Where do you stand on that? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, look, I feel like the Niners played well enough to win. They just played the maybe the greatest quarterback of all yeah. time. You know, like you've got to be nearly perfect. They did make a couple mistakes, right? The missed extra point was huge. Uh, the the situation on special teams with the punt was a big deal. McCaffrey fumbling on the first drive of the game maybe cost them at least a field goal. So, look, they, they made too many mistakes ultimately when you're playing Patrick Mahomes. But Patrick Mahomes also had to go out there and win the game and like take the team down the field to tie to get it to overtime and go and win the game with a touchdown drive. So um, I, I, it's tough to really criticize Kyle Shanahan, right? I mean, he's he's an unbelievable coach. He's run into the, the best quarterback maybe ever twice in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So it happens. You know, that all being said, uh, until he does win a championship, though, there's going to be people that question him. But people questioned Andy Reid. If you look at the resume yeah. for Andy Reid in Philly, it's very similar to what Shanahan has done in five years or six years, whatever it's been, in San Francisco. So, look, I would take Kyle Shanahan over probably most coaches in the league, if not all of them, besides probably Andy Reid, maybe, you know, maybe Harbaugh, maybe Tomlin. There's an argument with McVay, but he's right there as far as being um, one of the game's great coaches. So tough loss, but I, I give more credit to the Chiefs winning the game than I do yeah, the Niners losing absolutely. the game. And, and we do live in a kind of what have you done for me lately society, and people do forget that Kyle Shanahan kind of revolutionized the way offensive football's played now. In the modern era, he's been as much the the drive behind this this surge in offensive football as anyone else. And you look at like McVeigh, they've all fallen off the you know the Mike Shanahan tree, and Kyle's been a big big driver in that. And as you said, he you know you can say all you want. Well, there's been two two overtimes in Super Bowl history. He's been involved in both and lost both. As you said, he's also come up against two of the best who have ever done it, and. And he was the offensive coordinator in that 28-3 yeah, one. It, exactly. It's amazing to me. Like, he gets blamed for 28-3. He wasn't the head coach. No. Like, wh why does Dan Quinn get a pass for that all of a sudden? Like, that's yeah. we, we don't blame Robert Sala for losing the 
the 49ers uh, Super Bowl when they played the Chiefs. Like, you blame Shanahan. Why? He's the head coach. So why is Kyle Shanahan getting blamed for 28-3 when he was the offensive coordinator? It's it's always been crazy to me. It, no, it's, and, and you know, I, I know windows do close fast, but you look at how loaded that 49ers team is, and obviously they they had some really bad luck on the injury front in the Super Bowl too. Um you know, obviously Greenlaw went out and then obviously George Kittle was kind of a non-factor and went out hurt and Debo Samuel was obviously compromised. But if, if they're healthy, I I still have them as one of the favourites in the NFC next year. I, I completely agree. I mean, they have the coach, they have the roster. I, they're not paying Brock Purdy a whole lot of money and you would think in year three he'll only get better, especially yes. now that he's another full year removed from the you know, the elbow reconstructive surgery he had, uh, they're still going to be in the mix. I mean, how who, who really scares you in the NFC? To me, you have San Francisco. We'll see what the Lions are now with uh, you know, the expectations being raised for them. I think there's you know, probably an expectation the Packers take another step forward with Jordan Love proving he looks like a legitimate you know uh, starting franchise-level quarterback in this league. But the Cowboys, I mean, until they do it, no one's going to pick them. Philadelphia, I don't know what they are after what happened at the end of last season. So San Francisco, you know, rightfully, I saw the odds, you know, they came out right after uh, the Super Bowl. You know, San Francisco, I think, has the second highest odds to win and the highest in the NFC. So, you know, that wouldn't make sense. So, you know, they're going to be they're going to be in the mix, point being. They've been so good under Shanahan, I would expect them to still remain a championship contender going forward. And the key point there with Purdy still on that rookie deal, you can afford to be the add a couple of other pieces in around him as well, which is a luxury not a lot of teams have. And I just thought it's fitting as well. I, I, and we're going to get into your time in Vegas in a minute, but I just thought it's fitting that, you know, Super Bowl was in Vegas. It's been a long time coming and it go, you know, everything's bigger and, and brighter in Vegas. And then it delivers, you know, arguably one of the best endings we've ever seen in Super Bowl history. And it just seemed to be a real fitting end. To, to to the season. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the NFL getting exactly what they wanted, right? Yeah. First ever Super Bowl in Vegas, overtime game, best player in the world wins the game, the Taylor Swift factor, highest rated game in the history of the sport. I mean, picture perfect for what the NFL wanted its first ever Super Bowl to be in Vegas, and I'm sure Vegas will be a regular part of the Super Bowl rotation now going forward. So I was following your your channel and your socials all week because, as as I said at the start, I really do consider you kind of the the lead of the next generation. And as someone trying to break into this this industry and make make a mark myself, you're someone that I'm I look up to and and kind of aspire to be, given everything that you've you've achieved. And I just I, I got so much joy from seeing how much fun you had and and the guests you had on which we'll, we'll get to shortly but for you what were kind of your top moments from being there being on radio row kind of being around it this week and and being able to soak everything up in vegas oh great question you know it, it, it's it's always a a blast to be at radio row it's the first time i i had gone back to a super bowl radio row since actually the last time the niners and chiefs uh, played in the Super Bowl back in 2020, right before you know the world shut down with COVID a few months later. Um, so getting the chance to go back, but just do it strictly as a YouTube entity. In the past, I, I was with SB Nation Radio, my former employer, ESB in Houston. So going there as like the Jake Asman show and just kind of doing the content I wanted to do, right? Interview the guests yeah. I wanted, try and uh, tailor some of the guests specific to the Jets and asking questions about you know the, the Jets and, and getting different perspectives on that. Uh, it was so much fun just to be in that environment. I think is the best part. It's just it's uh, it's so exciting. You know, you you have a who's who around you. You're kind of in the mix. Everyone is in town for one specific reason. Uh, just the the vibes are are high in general. And then you combine that with Vegas and the opportunity to you know go to some comedy shows or go to a big parties or have a nice steak dinner. Just all the different things you could do in Vegas. Play gamble. You know, gamble a little bit. I'm a big blackjack yeah. guy. Just you combine you know the fun of being in a you know football environment for the game of all games, right? The Super Bowl with the fun of Vegas. And it just made for an unbelievable week. And, you know, I'm glad you enjoyed some of the content because uh, it's a little different than what we normally do, right? With the, the live streams we do talking about the NFL and talking about the Jets. This was more kind of just big name after big name interview style and less live shows. So 
it was nice to kind of switch it up for a week and, and give the audience something a little different. Did you by any chance happen to spot Jason Kelsey up to any of his antics? <laughs> I mean, I know his retirement has not been confirmed, but especially after some of the videos that have come out from Sunday night, that that's a guy that's living his best life right now. Yeah, I, I you know I saw him. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to interview him personally, but uh, I did see him walking around uh, the convention center where we were at Mandalay Bay, and we actually had one of his teammates on the show, Jordan Mulatto, came on and told some awesome uh, Jason Kelsey stories, and it, that was cool to hear. So uh, I'd recommend uh, anyone who wants some really good, funny behind the scenes Jason Kelsey stuff to check out that interview with uh, you know his fellow Pro Bowl lineman because he he told some good stuff about him. So you had some great guests, and I'm going to put links to your channels in the pod when we when we put this up. I, I was going to ask kind of your the, the most pinch me guest for you, but before I do, as someone who who has long had an interest in the sports media, I really loved your chat with Mike Golick Senior. I I I love the Golick family and what he's done in in the media side. Just incredible. What was that like? having a chance to kind of talk to him it was awesome because uh you know just like you i i'm a huge fan of uh of mike and you know i grew up listening to uh mike and mike every morning whether it was on the radio or watching it on espn2 before school it was the first time i've gotten a chance to meet him i met greeny a couple times and greeny's been a guest on the youtube show and I, i've never met golik so to get the opportunity to talk with him and um, you know, talk with him about his career, talk to him about the Jets and the Super Bowl. It was a, a it, it was a blast and a really fun conversation. And I could tell you, as great of a guy as he seemingly is on the air, he is just as nice and down to earth off the air. So that was Good really too. cool to kind of you know get a chance to meet someone you've 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 known. You feel like you've yeah. known because you've watched him, but now you actually meet the guy, and it's cool to see he's actually as genuine of a person as you, you felt like he would be. Look, what what I love about Mike Golick Sr. is is that because I think what Good Morning Football's done really well this year is they're a kind of just a meat and potatoes football show, and you can turn it on and know that you're just going to get good down the middle football talk without hot takes. And and Mike Golick Sr. is kind of the the leader of that. When he was on ESPN Radio, you knew that he was just going to offer solid football conversation and not any of the, the nonsense and it's the same kind of with like Dan Patrick and those those older guys and and it, it was just so great to listen to your conversation with him because he is that old school analyst still yeah no doubt he, he uh he, he's authentically him right he, he's not just saying things for shock value or a hot yeah. take to try and get clicks or views and I think that's why he uh he resonates with so many people because of the fact he has obviously built up credibility over the course of a 25-year career in media where he's never been about himself. He's just about, you know, giving you an authentic opinion, and that's always what I've tried to do, too. I don't really say things for shock value or to have a take. Maybe that is to my detriment sometimes, but um, I, I just respect the way Golik has gone about it in his career, and uh, it was so cool to get a chance to talk to him one-on-one. So Mike Golick Sr., Emmett Smith, Carrot Top, uh, Santonio Holmes, just to mention a few. This might be a hard question to answer, but of all the guests that you had, what was the one guest that you had to kind of pinch yourself and think, oh, crap, am I really interviewing this person in Vegas? It's a great question. I, you know, I really don't get starstruck anymore, which is great, um, just because I've had a lot of experience uh, doing this for a while now. But... I will say as a diehard Jet fan, it's never not cool to talk to someone that's actually on the team, right? Like it's not often you get a chance to actually interview someone who's an active player, let alone one of the best players, team captain. And that was CJ Mosley who came on the show mm -hmm. uh, on Friday. So that was a huge thrill for me. And um, I, I would say that was probably the most like, wow, like nice. Like I'm getting a chance to talk to someone that I talk about all the time because he's still on the team. And it's always cool to interview someone with a connection to the Jets. Like I've been lucky enough to interview Joe Namath or Darrell Revis or Nick Mangold. You know, you mentioned Santonio Holmes. We had him yeah. on. And those are always really cool as a Jet fan. But I think it hits differently when you actually interview a player who's currently on the team and mm -hmm. is such a prominent player on the team. So uh, to answer your question, I'd go with CJ Mosley. But I'm just grateful for 
you know, I didn't want to take time to come on the show the last week because it was uh, it, it was an awesome, awesome experience to get a chance to kind of pump out the amount of interviews that we were able to do. So let's stick with the Jets. We're both big Jets fans. Last year was a disappointment, to say the least. I mean, it was all over effectively after 75 seconds. Um, a lot's happened since then, and I mean, there's been a lot that has been written this offseason already, and... You know, there's certainly a lot of stuff where you can, if, if you want to get bogged down and think, oh crap, here we go, then it's easy to do that with, with all the reporting. Um, what is your kind of instant take on where the Jets are heading into 2024 with the whole, you know, not just with Aaron Rodgers coming off, what is a very serious injury, especially for a 40 year old, but with all the stuff that's come out about him and potentially his, his role within the organization and the fact that they're going to need to get a new backup quarterback, that offensive line needs kind of dismantling and starting again. What is your, what would be your snapshot of their outlook heading into the off season? Yeah. I mean, look, obviously this past year was a nightmare and, and you mentioned it like 75 seconds in, it was, you know, basically a lost year, even though none of us wanted to accept that right away in the back of our minds, we knew, well, you know, there goes the the shot at truly doing something this year, as far as, you know, going on a playoff run, winning a championship, all that. I don't think the Jets are as far away as maybe some <laughs> nationally or some of the fan base make it seem. Are they far away right now? Sure. But you know, the team they have right now is not going to be the team that takes the field week one uh, when the season gets underway. Having Rodgers back is everything. You know, it's a quarterback league. If you have a guy who could still be a top 10 quarterback, in my opinion, to go from Aaron Rodgers after what we saw this past year, that makes a huge difference for a team that still didn't win two games or three games. They went seven and 10, which is not great. I'm not celebrating that, but I bring that up just because I think there's so many people that are so dismissive of the mm -hmm. record and say how bad the Jets are. And meanwhile, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, 7-10 is not good, but when you consider they had the 32nd ranked offense by a wide margin, it, it's really not that hard to picture healthy Aaron Rodgers. You can win three more games. Now, I have questions with the coaching staff. They have to win us over. They have to, they have to prove to us that things are going to be different. But if you tell me Aaron Rodgers comes back and he's healthy, and the Jets can add a few new offensive linemen and a receiver, which they have the resources to do, I think they are at least a playoff team or a playoff contender. And from there, you know, you take your shot at it. It's going to be tough to picture the Jets winning it all next year, yes. but yeah. you got to get you got to get in to have a chance. And as a Jet fan who hasn't seen a winning season in eight years, who hasn't seen them in the playoffs since 2010, you know, I don't know, a fun regular season before the playoff heartbreak. I'll sign for that right now, oh. given how bad it's been. I just want to see them get to the playoffs. And after that, you don't know what happens. I just want a, a, a healthy Rogers season, get to the playoffs, and then what happens, happens. But with, with the resources you mentioned, with the resources they're going to have in free agency, with that 10th that pick in the draft, who who or what would you like to see them do or, or go after, particularly in free agency and, and, and the draft? Is it is it going to be an elite weapon for Rogers? Obviously, offensive line, they need a lot of help. But is there anyone in particular that you look at and think this would be the perfect fit for a Rodgers-led team? Yeah, I I would love to see them be able to sign Mike Evans or T. Higgins, you know, yeah. if, they're, if they're available. I think adding that complimentary number two, low-end number one to Garrett Wilson would be, would be massive. If they can't get those guys, I think Calvin Ridley is another nice fit for that number two slot. Yeah. And then... Look, I, I think offensive line's got to be the biggest priority. And and whether they address that in free agency or the draft, I think it needs to be a combo of the two. You know, you do that, and Rodgers himself makes your line better by being able to adjust protections and get the ball out fast. So I think that helps. And obviously, probably the biggest thing they got to do, you hope you never got to see the guy play, but they got to be prepared in case he does need to play. That's backup quarterback. And, you know, that's something they, they dropped the ball on, obviously, this past year. They're not going to make the same mistake twice, especially after yeah. what the owner said uh, last week at the NFL Honors. They got to sign a legitimate backup, whether that's you know Jacoby Brissett or Gardner Minshew or Jameis Winston or Ryan Tannehill. You know Zach Wilson's not going to be on this team next year, and they need a legitimate number two. So if God forbid something does happen to Rodgers, Andrew, you know the season's not over. You know they're able yeah. to you know, find a way to still you know stay afloat. 
if he misses the entire year, that's different. But if Aaron Rodgers has to miss four games with a sprained ankle, you know, can you go three and one in that stretch? Can you go two and two in that stretch? Your season's not cooked. That's the job of the backup and why they got to get someone in who can play that position at a high level. Do they get anything for Wilson or do they end up cutting him? What do you think? I think they get something for him. I don't think it's going to be a lot. You know, I, I think a sixth or a seventh round pick is probably what they're looking at, but it's better than just cutting him because it does save them some cap space that they can yeah. find a trade partner. So I think that's ultimately what will happen. Uh, final question before I let you go. So I, I've been floating this out to my Giants friends just to get them juiced. Obviously, it wasn't a great year but for them. There's some stuff with the coach inside that come out that kind of makes you think about Brian Dable and how he runs his program on that side. You'd think if they have another year like last year, that might that might be it. The, the Mara family are close to Bill Belichick. You think in the back of their heads, they're thinking, okay, if Ryan Dable doesn't get this right, we'll just we'll just give our friend Bill a call, bring him off the bench for 2025. Yeah, I do think it's possible. You know, I mean, a lot of teams are going to be connected to Bill, right? Look at the Eagles, look at the Cowboys. It would make sense. I mean, John Mara does have a connection with Bill. Bill has talked about how much respect and admiration he has for the Giants. Uh, if you know they go six and twelve this upcoming year, or six and eleven this upcoming year, I, I do I do see that as a possibility. Um, I, I don't know if it's likely because I think Brian Dable is a decent coach, and you know the Giants might be a decent team next year. But as long as Belichick's out there, he's one thousand percent. Andrew, you're one hundred percent right. Going to be connected to the Giants. Well, Jake, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. I know you've been busy. We're just getting back from Vegas. So appreciate you coming on and giving up your time. I'd love to get you on again once football season starts. Um, we'll try and get you on when the Jets have gone 4-0 and and Rogers is looking <laughs> like the best quarterback in football. But oh, um, please. thank you so much. And um, yeah, here's, here's to a successful off-season for our Jets. I sure hope so, Andrew. Thanks so much for having me on. Love the accent. Love the fact that uh, you're a Jet fan, and I appreciate your kind words. Thanks again. Thanks, man.